All right. Okay. Um, so for those of you uh, who have not been around Epicenter for uh, a longer period of time, you might not have met uh, Pastor Jason. Uh, he runs a great church called Northgate. Um, so he's been a friend of Tanya and mine for a long time now. We've known one another for ages and ages. We've had Pastor Jason come over here on a number of occasions to share with us as a church. He's a great friend of Epicenter Church, loves the heart of this place. And so um, Jason and I have this great affinity. And every time I call Jason, he never picks up his phone. And so I always get his answering machine. So what I decided to do was I thought I would excite him a little bit. And so every time I get his answering machine, I go, hello, Jason Mattering. And so, um, you know, he gets really excited by that. You know, he sort of thinks he's about ready to get into the fight. He's into the ring. He's wearing the blue gloves or something like that. But um, reality is uh, he is a great man of God. He's come over. He's prophetically spoken into the life of Epicenter on numerous occasions. And I want you to give him the honour as he comes and shares a word in season for us as a church. So Pastor Jason Mannering, thank you. Thank you, Pastor Damien. You know... um, You know how you can save, you know, your voice messages, right? If you like them. I've got about eight voice messages saved and everyone begins with, as he just stated. So (laughs) I want to begin by uh, just sending greetings from my dear wife, uh, Pastor Trina and uh, the Northgate Church family uh, to all of you. Uh, You are very much you know, in our hearts and uh, in our prayers. And and I want to say thank you for uh, having me here this evening and uh, thank you for coming out uh, tonight to be a part of uh, this service and to worship and to hear the Word of God. I'd like to bring just uh, a few very simple uh, prophetic words before I preach to you tonight. And uh, the first one that I'd like to give is actually to uh, Ebony uh, Warren. And uh, so I was up the front here just worshipping and I just, uh, you know, looked about me and I just saw Ebony in the back row there and obviously she's just waiting for her her sisters and brother and brother-in-law and things like that. And my heart was just moved to go and stand, go up the back and just stand beside her. And in actual fact, Ebony, I, I just need to say that the Holy Spirit said to go and stand beside her. And I'm like, oh, with great pleasure. And uh, so I did that, of course, and, you know, just wanted to come alongside her. And and, uh, when I came and sat back down, uh, the Holy Spirit spoke to me again and uh, wanted me to simply tell you that he is with you. And uh, he goes before you, he's beside you. And uh, it's a simple word, but it's a loving word that he's always with you and that you are always in his presence. Another image that I had of you, Ebony, it's, it's kind of like this. This is the best way that I can explain what I felt the Holy Spirit saying. It's like you're going just like this, just kind of cruising along, I, I guess like an airplane, just kind of cruising at a certain altitude. And there ca- comes this time where you just go like this. You just saw. And I just really felt the presence of God on you, honey. And I, I think you're absolutely outstanding and amazing and I just want us to give her a great big hand of encouragement 
So let's do that. A couple of other just prophetic pictures that I had, and I want to be very careful how I you know, just describe this next uh, prophetic picture. Um, I, I do want to say before I bring it uh, that this is a church that is on the move. And uh, this church is going to move more and more into very uh, strategic and uh, increased levels of significance in the community. And there's a lot of great things happening, but this church, significance, is written all over this church. And so I want to be very careful how I just put this particular picture because I don't want it to be misinterpreted. But you could say that um, I just saw just like a pile of bricks, right? And so what I don't want us to think is that everything is in disarray, okay? When I communicate this picture of a pile of bricks. But then 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 came to me, uh, which where, where the Apostle Peter says that you are spiritual stones being built into a spiritual house. So I don't want us to focus in our minds about the image of a pile of bricks because this church is not in a pile of bricks. But what I did really sense was this. I, I, I just have this sense and, you know, Pastor Damien and the elders and the board can do with it whatever they like. But I just have a sense that this is very much a year of adjustments and alignments where, you know, things are just going to be kind of moved around a little bit as one brick is just strategically positioned in a particular place within the house so that the house can be built, uh, you know, more effectively than what it is. So it's almost like there could be even like an ebony, for example, who's uh, a spiritual stone in this house. She could be just over here, just kind of doing her thing. But then there comes this season where God says, no, I'll take ebony, you know, take her from this place, this position, and realign her and reposition her in this place because of the gifts that are in and on her life. Does that make sense? So I just sense that it's very much a year of uh, adjustments and alignments and perhaps where one was doing one thing, it'll be repositioned and, you know, people in their strength and, and things like that. And, uh, and don't you think it's great? So on another subject, don't you think it's great that Pastor Damien and Warren are taking long service leave? Isn't that great? Ah, I'm, my apologies, Pastor Damien and Tanya. It's a great thing uh, that they're taking long service leave. And uh, Damien, I think, will laugh at this. I kind of saw his brain like a Rubik's Cube. It's very colorful. And, uh, but I just saw there, like, even when it came to, you know, his mind and uh, just the way that he currently thinks about leadership and ministry. I just know that things are, gonna, are going to begin to, you know, come all the more into uh, just uh, gre a greater clarity, really. And, uh, and that is very much about, you know, everything that's happening here. Uh, it has everything to do with everything moving forward. And, uh, and I think that's really exciting. So let's just give the Lord a mighty hand of thanks. Come on, give him a mighty hand of thanks. And so let's begin uh, tonight and let's turn to Matthew chapter 2. Uh, and I'm going to begin to read from verse 9. Now, this is a particular story that we could easily uh, use throughout the Christmas 
season. And, uh, and I trust that you've had uh, a blessed Christmas season. It doesn't seem all that long ago. And now it's like, you know, we're almost into February. But let's pick it up in verse 9. And it says there, When they heard King Herod, they departed. So the wise men, they heard King Herod and they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. Now when they saw the star, they rejoiced. What did they do when the shepherds saw the star? It says, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And, uh, and I just want to say from the very beginning that no matter what you're going through, in life, no matter where you find yourself at this time, it could be a dark time, it could be a despairing time, it could be a discouraging time. But no matter what the time, God is always on time and will always bring a light in the night. And that's just a word of encouragement for someone here this evening. God wants you to know no matter what season, like perhaps you could be coming out of a dark time and, uh, you know, the light has dawned or perhaps you're in a dark time or maybe you're about to go into one. I, I don't know. But the word of encouragement from the beginning is this, no matter how deep the darkness might be, no matter how great the night, the Lord will always provide a light in the night. And so be rest assured of that. And so verse 11 says, And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And when they opened up their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Verse 10 says that when they saw the star, the light in the night, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And so seeing this bright star excited them. It inspired them when they saw the star because they knew that the promised child who was prophesied about long ago, the Savior of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ, was on the other side of following this light divine. And out of all the billions of stars that God could have chose in the universe, God chooses this one particular star and he lit it up to catch the attention of these seeking and searching shepherds. There was something about this one star, this one light in the night that made it stand out amongst all other stars. And I heard a preacher preach once that uh, this particular star was in close proximity to the sun, which God used to give this star its bright and shining light. And I guarantee that... As these shepherds fixed their eyes on Jesus within this manger, in this stable, and as they worshipped and as they presented their gifts to Jesus, I guarantee that these shepherds were very thankful for the star, the light in the night that God placed in their path. I guarantee it. Because if it wasn't for the light, if it wasn't for this light divine, 
you know, they that appeared within the midst of their darkness, they would have missed their own personal encounter with Jesus and subsequently missed a moment in history. I guarantee that as they beheld the Savior of the world, that they were grateful, that they were thankful for this light in the night that guided him, uh, guided them uh, to Jesus. And you know, it gets me thinking also um, how there was a time in my life when God used a star to appear in the midst of my own darkness and uh, when I was seeking and when I was searching and how this bright and shining light appeared and stood out amongst all others and uh, this bright and shining star that appeared to me um, uh, had a name and uh, this star's name was Trina and uh, who is now my wife and this star appeared to me on March 28th uh, 1989 and you know I was seeking and I was searching and when I first met Trina uh, she was 17 years of age and I was uh, oh, I think 20 and uh, you know I, I wasn't a Christian at this stage uh, I was not a Christian and uh, so I was a DJ and playing football can you imagine me a, a DJ I know don't think about it too much you'll get yeah, so anyway, so I was pursuing, you know, a football career and, and all of that. And, and so, you know, I, I kind of thought that as a young man, you know, life was all about, you know, having a, a great job and really just taking out as many girls as you can and kind of stuff like that, like a man without, you know, Christ in his life. And, uh, and so when I sat down to, uh, you know, with Trina, and I haven't got time to talk about just the unusual circumstances by which we met, because it was pretty bizarre, so maybe may another time. But as I sat down, um, you see, I knew that she was a Christian, and there was just something different about her. You know, she didn't talk like other girls, she, she didn't swear, uh, she didn't talk about what other girls talked about, but the light was shining. She got close to Jesus enough that the light began to shine, and I began to be drawn. And uh, so the rest is history. We got married on February 2, 1991. And uh, of course, we're celebrating 25 years of marriage on February 2 this year. So, and I thank God for Trina. But isn't it true um, that none of us are here by accident today because all of us at some point have been starstruck and all of us have had a guiding light that led us to the Savior. Somebody somewhere, some parent, some family member, some friend, some neighbor, some work colleague, some preacher somewhere got so close to the sun, not the S-U-N, but the S-O-N of God, and they got so close that their light began to shine, which got our attention. And as we began to follow the, this light, it led us personally to encountering Jesus. And... Um, I really do believe that it's good for us to take a moment from time to time to give thanks to God for the guiding lights that led us personally to Jesus, but also to remember to become those guiding lights for someone else to come and, and personally encounter Christ. And so as we begin now to just drill down a little bit into my message as the shepherds followed this star, that guiding light that led them 
uh, to Jesus, they were actually led to an unexpected place. And so, you know, these shepherds were following this light, which was going to lead them to the promised king of the universe, the savior of the world, who had been prophesied about long ago. And perhaps these shepherds thought that the star would lead them to a palace fit for a king since King Herod himself lived in a palace. But history tells us that Jesus was born in a cave-like stable where animals were kept and not in an open wooden stable like the images we see. And so the star led them to an unexpected place. They saw the light in the night. They were filled with exceedingly great joy. And they were obedient in following the star, but it led them to a stable, an unexpected place. And so what do you do? Because this is where we begin to get just a little bit more personal right now. What do you do when you follow the star and you're expecting a palace fit for a king, but it leads you to a dark cold, cave-like, noisy, smelly, messy, chaotic place, like a stable. What do you do when you have a dream, an excitement, an expectation in your heart for greater things yet to come as you follow Jesus with all of your heart and, and believe that God is going to make your life just one long, happy, clappy time, but you end up in a messy place what do you do when you're expecting one thing but it leads you to another and I believe that sometimes we can think that if we're not in the palace positioned in the best seats at the king's table that God is not with us that if we're not living the palace life free of strife with every blessing bestowed upon my life that somehow we're not in the will of God and, you know, I praise God and I thank God for the high times, the mountain views and the palace days. But my personal journey and my story, the, the truth is that God is not just in the starry moments of life. He's not just in the bright times, but he's also in the lowly, the lowly and in the stable days. What do you do when you dream a dream of marriage? When you dream of a dream of a family united, of business, of ministry, and a few years down the road, life leads you to an unexpected time, an unexpected place where things go wrong and not according to plan, and you end up, instead of what we might have expected to be the palace life, we end up in the stables of life. What do you do when health challenges come or you lose a loved one or your family situation changes and offenses rise and nothing goes the way that you planned or expected and you feel like you've ended up in a lowly place where you can't, with which you can't rise from, where it feels like no one cares, but you were expecting a palace marriage, 
a palace family and the palace life, what, what do you do? How do you deal with that when your expectation is in one place, but you end up in another, knowing all along I'm following Jesus, I'm following the light in the night? You know, in moments like these and in days like these, there are so many things that we can pursue. We can go back to pursuing the old things. We can become so discouraged, so despondent, so despairing that we can return to the old, the old ways, drugs, alcohol, pornography, voices. We, we can find voices who will agree with us or like the wise shepherds, we can stay on course, fix our eyes on Jesus as we, continu as we continue to follow the light divine. You see, there's darkness all about. There are all kinds of unfavorable circumstances, but because God is love and because God is faithful, He will cause at the right time a significant star that will begin to shine. He will provide a light. And my word of encouragement to you is not to be so aware of all of the darkness around you, but to become more aware of the light before you, to fix your eyes on the light. And I know that God wants to encourage and liberate someone here this evening because he wants someone here to know that he's not just with you in the good days and in the high times and when you're living the palace life, but that you actually find Jesus dearer, closer and nearer when you are going through the lowest seasons the loneliest of days, the darkest and most chaotic stables of your life. Don't you think it's amazing that when the shepherds came into the stable, I mean, it was chaotic. It was so chaotic. It was dark. It was cold. It was set in a cave. Uh, Jesus is placed in a feeding trough, which was not made of like, you know, uh, you know, wood and, uh, and all of that. It was like a cold, uh, hard stone uh, stable. And, um, you know, there's so much that they could have been aware of, but they focus not on what's around them, but who is in the midst of them. And, you know, I stand on this platform today by the grace of God, you know, to testify that you know, the times when I've had the greatest encounters of transformation and the times when I've been closest to the Savior, they were not in the palace days or in the high times, but in, but in the stables of life. That's when the greatest times of transformation have taken place in my life because you and I will never be as close to God in the palace as we will in life's stables. Because Jesus is right in the midst of life's stables. But of course, I still haven't answered the uh, what do you do question. Because what do you do when you follow the star and you're expecting a palace, but it leads you to a stable? Well, the answer is in Matthew chapter 2, uh, verse 11b. It says that the shepherds, they fell down and worshipped. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You know, there was so much that these shepherds could have become aware of, 
as I've already stated, as they walked into this chaotic place. They could have become aware of all of the voices, you know, the voices of the animals, the, the noises that the animals made. They could have, you know, become aware of the smells in the atmosphere, the things that were not in order, the things that were chaotic, the, the mess. You understand what I'm saying. But once again, they don't focus on what's around them. And I, and I really believe with all of my heart that this is the message that God wants to communicate to you this evening. It's not to become so aware of what is in the environment, what's around you, but to become more aware of who is in the midst of the environment. Because there was a lot of stuff going on in this particular stable. But the shepherds could not get their eyes off the one in the midst of the stable. And I speak of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And you know what? There can be all kinds of stuff going on in your life. And, and I get that. And I've been through a lot of that. But I tell you what, there comes a time when I've got to exercise the power of a made up mind. Like James says, he says to, you know, to um, not be double-minded. You know, the place of double-mindedness is the place of confusion. And we've got to exercise the power of a made-up mind. I will praise the Lord. And so I want to talk about, really, just for a few moments, um, really not much, uh, you know, I don't plan on going on for much uh, more time at all, but uh, because we're going to have a time of worship and give you an opportunity. But in this place, which was not a perfect environment by any means, the shepherds, they offer up, get this, they offer up their best worship. So what don't they do? They don't come into this chaotic place because what have they got? They've got gold, they've got frankincense, and they've got myrrh. Like these are pretty expensive gifts. And they've traveled a really long way. I don't know how long or how far they've traveled exactly. I'm sure somebody out there can tell me. But they've traveled a long way with these great gifts. Now, if they wanted to, they could have come into this place, talked, to, had a little like, you know, executive meeting like, this was not what I was expecting. I was expecting more personally. And this is not a palace environment at all. So this, you know, they could have said, you know, I'm not given this gift. I want to save this gift for the palace days, for the, the, the best of times. I'm not going to give my best gift. I'm not going to give my best time, my best talent, my best treasure in this place. I'm going to withhold my gift and I'm going to save my gift for a palace life, for a palace environment, not for a stable environment, for a palace environment. But they didn't do that, did they? They didn't think to themselves, they didn't have a meeting and say, gosh, so much is out of order over there. Uh, you know, I've never seen an animal do that before. That is really something I've never seen before, and I'm a shepherd. And, and so, you know, they could have just be become aware of so much, but they don't do that, do they? They don't do that. What do they do? They bow down, and they worship, and they give their best to Jesus. But you know what some Christians do? They withhold their best 
for some other time, for some other day. Because they think to themselves, ah, oh, this isn't worth, this particular place, this particular environment is not worthy of my best time, talent and treasure, and it's not worthy of my best worship. Do you understand what I'm saying? Oh, man, I wonder what God thinks about that. I don't think God thinks too good about that, really, to, to be honest. I don't think God is pleased if somebody withholds their best worship. You know, like worship time is on and we're like, eh. <laughs> just kind of, we're not engaged, you understand. We're like just in another place. But these shepherds, you know, we can learn so much. That's why they're called wise shepherds. They were wise because they worshipped. They bowed down, they worshipped, they gave their best. What about you this evening? One little side note. I'm heading back home tonight. <laughs> right, that's not the side note. But what are you doing in this house? Like, what are you doing? I, I don't know who I'm talking to uh, tonight, but I just want to ask, what are you doing uh, to help this church move forward? Like, I want to ask you, are you a practitioner? Like, you know, I, I consider myself a practitioner. Um, I don't consider myself really a, uh, really a deep theologian. You know, um, I know things about the Word of God and whatever else, but I'm more about, you know, gathering information from the Bible and then working out how I can exercise application. Do you understand? Like, uh, I, I, like wow, the, the, the things that you guys are doing in this community, I think they're amazing. But the only way that this church is going to move forward is if more people begin to rise up and shoulder the work of the ministry. So I want to ask you, this is like really a side note, is there anyone here withholding your time? Like, for example, if there's a, a particular ministry team leader, it could be kids. It's like, you know, kids, it's like, you know, we need more workers. Uh, it could be youth. We need more helpers. Uh, it could be with the op shop. You know, we need more volunteers, Right. Like, I just want to ask, what are you doing? And I just feel compelled to do it, to ask the question. The answer is for you to ask yourself, what are you doing? Um, but more than that, I, I believe, and I'm very careful to say what I'm about to say, but I actually believe God's asking you, like, so what are you doing? <laughs> like, are you busy? Like, maybe you can't give 10 hours a week, but maybe you can give one. Just commit to one. And if everyone commits to one hour a week, Wow, that's probably 200 plus hours here, you know, across the church. Do you understand what I'm saying? What are you doing? Like, seriously, hello. Hello. <laughs> yeah, like, I just want to stir you and get you to, you know, just exercise uh, the word of God. Because that's how revival happens. But, um, like I said, most people, you know, I think that they... Uh, would save, would have saved their best worship for the palace life and the high places. But, you know, as these shepherds gave their best worship to Jesus in unpleasant circumstances, the circumstances and the environment changed. Isn't that amazing? That's what God can do when we worship Him, when we lift up the name of Jesus. And uh, one of the reasons why it changed is because the worship that costs us the most 
counts the most. And uh, what I want to do, I just want to invite the music team uh, to come. And, uh, you know, no one was expecting the king of the universe, just catch this, no one was expecting the king of the universe, the savior of the world to be born in a stable. And, you know, some of the greatest men and women have been born from out of life's most unlikely stables. And uh, as I begin to close, greatness is born in strange places. Somebody here needs to hear that greatness is born out of strange places and unlikely stables. No one expected the king of the universe, the creator of the world, to be born in a stable. No one saw that coming. But greatness is born in strange places. And check this out. Check out just some of the heroes of the faith. And so if somebody out there is feeling like, you know, uh, what have I got to offer? Who am I really? What can I do? I don't think, you know, I'm worth much. I don't think I can really do much to make a difference. Well, check this out. Noah was a drunk. Job was bankrupt. Moses was a stutterer. Gideon was afraid. Isaac was a dreamer. Jacob was a liar. Joseph was abused. Samson was a flirt. Rahab was a prostitute. Elijah battled with different things. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Martha always worried. The woman at the well was divorced. Abraham was too old. Zacchaeus was too small. Timothy was too young. Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep in Jesus' greatest hour. Paul was too religious. And Lazarus was dead. And there's someone here who believes that God can't use them. Well, I declare that a move of God is about to move in you and through each one of you. I declare that you are someone's light in the night. You are someone's miracle. I declare that it's not a setback, but it's a set up. I declare that things are not falling apart, but rather things are falling into place. I declare that you're not too hard for God to use. For God says, is there anything too hard for me? And I declare that He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete complete it until the return of Jesus Christ. Oh man, I'm in the presence of amazing people. Unfortunately, we don't accept that. We don't believe that. We don't confess that. You know, the worship that costs us the most counts the most. And the greatest times when I've had the, the greatest of times, the greatest encounters in worship has been when the cost to worship has been at its greatest. Somebody here needs to worship and it's gonna cost you something to worship. And that's why you need to worship because the worship that costs the most counts the most. My word of encouragement to you here uh, this evening is to give God your best. 
I understand that not everything is perfect in your life right now. In fact, it never will be. Nothing is perfect about my life. There was nothing perfect about the first Christmas except the baby, Jesus. There's nothing perfect about my life except Jesus. Can I encourage you to be courageous and to give Jesus your best worship in the midst of whatever it is you might be going through. Because you know what? Could it be that there's someone here this evening that just needs to focus again? Could it be that you've been going through such a, a discouraging time, a despairing time, even perhaps a, a depressed time? Uh, could it be that it's been such a long time since you've really just lifted up your eyes to Jesus and focused on Him again? You know, when Peter uh, saw Jesus walking on the water, he said, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come. Jesus goes, yes, it's me. Je Peter, come. And so as he focused on Jesus, he walked above. But as he became aware of the environment, the, the waves, he began to sink. But as he called out to Jesus again, it says immediately he stretched out his hand and lifted him up. And I think that there are people here tonight where once upon a time you used to walk on top of your circumstances, but you've been distracted because of discouragement, uh, because of all kinds of things, and you've looked down, or you've looked about and you've been distracted. But just lift up your eyes again. That's, that's all someone here needs to do. There's someone here and that's all you need to do. Just lift up your eyes again. So let me encourage you to stand this evening and uh, we're going to worship. And I want to give you an opportunity to come forward and offer up your best worship to Jesus. Come and offer the sacrifice of praise and lift your eyes. Lift up your eyes upon Jesus again. I guarantee you that as you lift up your eyes to Jesus and begin to worship, I guarantee that things will become clearer again. And you know what? It might even be a case that the circumstances don't change, but something's changed within you. And uh, so let's stand and I'm not sure what we're going to sing, but I just want to minister while we do. Thank you.